Greetings, Word Horde. We're here with an exciting option for you, a version of our podcast without any ads. That's right. No advertising interruptions, just the content you love, ready to go in your favorite podcast apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's another way to support the show, ensuring that we keep bringing you the word stories and language explorations that you love. Try it at waywardradio.org slash adfree. And it's affordable. For just a small subscription fee, you can enjoy Away With Words uninterrupted, except by us. Plus, it makes a great gift. Know somebody who loves language as much as you do? Give them the gift of words. Easy to sign up, easy to enjoy. It's the same Away With Words, just streamlined for your listening pleasure. Go to waywardradio.org slash adfree. Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. Support for Away With Words comes from National University, where flexible online classes let you earn your degree or credential on your schedule. Learn more at nu.edu. And by MosiPro Online Backup. MosiPro protects your business's data with simple and secure backup solutions. Information available at mozy.com slash words. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. One of the curiosities of American politics is that even though there's much talk about how bipartisanship is a good idea and how divisiveness doesn't get anything done in Washington, there's also an attitude that a centrist is just somebody who doesn't have a strong conviction and who can't be trusted. That idea is perfectly crystallized in the expression far center. Far center is a political position in which a politician is so committed to compromise that they please no one. It's a radical compromiser. That's great. I never heard that far center. Yeah, it's somebody who is, uh, they're, n- they're not in the far right. They're not the radical conservatives. And they're not in the far left. They're not the radical liberals. There's somebody who is kind of alone right out there in the middle because they, they're making nobody happy. I have an older political term for you. This one comes from the mid-19th century, which was a time of great linguistic inventiveness, as you know. And it's snollygoster. I just love this word, snollygoster, S-N-O-L-L-Y-G-O-S-T-E-R. It means a corrupt politician. Mm -hmm. It's a term that got revived last year in Britain when one politician called the other, his opponent, a snollygoster. And I just love that for corrupt politician. We're not sure of the uh, derivation of it, but it may come from an old word for a kind of evil spirit that preys on chickens and small children, snollygoster. Well, if you'd like to talk about new language or old words and phrases, grammar and slang, old family sayings or whatever, give us a call 1-877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Yes, hello. This is Claudette calling from Waukesha, Wisconsin. Hello, Claudette. How are you? Welcome to the program. I am just fine. How are you? Super duper. Swell as well. Well, here's my question. A couple of months ago, my husband and I heard about some research that was done where it talked about couples who are marrying their opposites in terms of spending habits. Mm -hmm. And so in this research, they said that people who were tightwads tended to marry spendthrifts. And, you know, the word tightwad is kind of easy, you know, to wrap your head around. Um, but spendthrift just kind of stuck in my craw, and I I just couldn't get it out of my mind because it makes no sense to me why the word spend would be put together with thrift, and that would result in a word that means a person is spending a lot of money. Uh huh. When it should, in my mind, it should be a person is spending in a thrifty manner. Okay. I can see the confusion there because it seems like the thrift is describing the act of saving or or, or not spending, right? That's right. So, That's right. right. So it seems it seems contradictory or, or oxymoronic. It does seem contradictory. So I was just curious about where this word came from and why we're hanging on to it. If I'm sure I've talked to other people and they're just as confused as I am. Well, Claudette, you're right. It sounds a little contradictory, but there, there's an easy answer here that I think can explain everything. Okay. 
and it's that the meaning of thrift has changed. There's an old meaning of thrift that we we use only in isolated and rare circumstances today. Okay. And 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 that is thrift to mean savings or accumulated wealth. You are actually when you spend your thrift, you are spending your savings. You are spending your savings. Yeah. Yeah. How's and that? So so we only find it today really in 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 the jargon of finance. Uh, a thrift bank, for example, is another name for a savings and loan association. So it's like and a savings bank. they don't bank. use that themselves. They do. Actually, they do. do within they? The, yeah, within the, the financial industry, they do use thrift in a very specific and contained oh. kind of jargonized way. Yeah. Yeah, and Claudette, this thrift is related to the word thrive. Thrift is the result of your thriving. So it's your, okay. your savings and your prosperity. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in your marriage, who's the spendthrift and who's the... Uh, Tightwad. <laughs> well, you know, we both looked at each other and said, um, you're the spendthrift. <laughs> oh, oh, hello. <laughs> Not me, a... it's you. Yes, and we both did it. I, I think in our situation, we tend to uh, go back and forth depending on what it is we're spending on. Mm-hmm. So we each have our things that we like to spend on versus things that we're quite thrifty mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Okay, well, Claudette, thanks for calling. Thanks, oh, Claudette. thank you, Martin Grant. We listen to your show all the time. Excellent. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, Claudette was on to something. English is confusing. If you're confused about something in English, give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or punch us up an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hello. Uh, this is Jeff Boyce from Boone's Mill near Roanoke in Virginia. Hello, Jeff. You don't, Hi, Jeff. You don't sound like you grew up there. That's true. Yeah. That's true. As a matter of fact, I was born in Australia, and I've been living in America for the last uh, 30 years. Ah, okay. Well, so, what can we help you with? Well, um, growing up uh, in Australia, early in the, uh, in the 1960s and earlier, there was a lot of English migrants coming out to Australia. I think there was some sort of assisted passage and they were put in hostels, and Australians uh, referred to them as uh, pommies. And um, it was semi-derogatory, but I don't think they... Now it's obviously not derogatory, so I'm sure they're not upset about it. And uh, it was just recently... uh, I was always told that uh, pommy meant uh, prisoner of Mother England, Mm -hmm. Mm P-O-M-E. But but that didn't sound sensible for the way an Australian would pronounce P-O-M-E. We'd say poem or something. Um, mm. Then my son said that he heard that it was P.O.H.M., Prisoner of Her Majesty, that mm. they had on the back of their of their garments, and that this is where Pommy came from. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was just wondering whether you could solve the problem for me and let me know where it really came from. We can come close. Uh, and the first way you can come close is to talk about some of those acronyms. So one of the theories was uh, that it came from P.O.M.E., Prisoner of Mother England, Right. That's correct. That's the assisted passage you're talking about? Assisted passage, meaning that they were criminal and they were shipped to Australia in order to uh, straighten, their, straighten them up? Or, uh, oh, yes. The, the first fleet was, uh, was all uh, basically uh, uh, criminals from, the, uh, from, the, from Britain. And then there was another acronym, POHM, and there have been some others that have been posed, proposed as well. But unfortunately, there's no evidence at all in the written record that these things are true at all. These acronyms probably are apocryphal. Somebody came up with them after the fact. Yeah, the best, the best, like it to me. Yeah, the best theory that we have, Jeffrey, and it's it's a pretty good one. It's not a hundred percent. Is that it's simply a reference to the fact that the newcomers didn't know enough to wear hats, and so they tend to get sunburned heads, and their heads looked like pomegranates, and so they called them palms or palmies for short. And it's not 100%, but I think it's a it's a far more reliable story and far more possible story, and certainly within the uh, the kind of humor that Australian slang tends to have. Yeah, well, I can imagine them putting a, an IE on the end of everything, like mm-hmm. putting yeah. another shrimp on the barbie. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so if it was a pom, then pommy would be a natural alliteration uh, 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 from that. So, yeah, I, uh, maybe. So it was because they <laughs> sunburned heads. Yeah, it's possible. You know, the sunburned heads looked like pomegranates. And and this expression goes back to at least 1913. It's probably a little bit older. And it's interesting to hear you say that it's not really offensive anymore because most of the dictionaries that I checked indicate that it's, uh, 
usually derogatory or still considered offensive. But you're saying that in a, in colloquial everyday English that people don't mind so much anymore being called Pommy. Well, it never offended me. Oh, I see. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I see. <laughs> I did marry different. an English wife uh, ah, okay. at one point, okay. and, uh, and she didn't worry. But, uh, um, I mean, the British have been labeled with more um, names, I think, because in America here you call them limeys, right? Yeah, yeah. that's, that's old-fashioned too, though. Yeah. I mean, Is that so derogatory, limey? Well, it's a sort of similar way. It's semi-derogatory. I guess it was because they ate limes when they were on the boats. For yeah, yeah, something like that. Avoid scurvy. I want a fruit name for us. <laughs> you guys no, have they, pomegranate. They have limey. No, they just call us septics. Septic <laughs> tanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Australians had a terrible saying for Americans. They'd call them septic tanks. Oh, that's right. And then right. they shortened it to septics. And, of course, yeah. it was an alliteration of yanks. Right, yeah. rhyming slang for Yanks. Rhyming That's right, we're septics. That I terrible? forgot about that. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't use it over here. <laughs> Different, yeah. Probably a good decision there. <laughs> right, right. So, that, so that's the best that we can offer you on Palmy. How'd we do? Oh, it did well. That satisfies me. That makes more sense than, than P-O-M-E. So um, I hope there's not hundreds of listeners calling in offended now. <laughs> no, no, no. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll just right. forward the calls to you. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> When I first came to America, I had a lot of fun with the with the accent here. And the uh, the first one I did was uh, I was mowing my grass, and I needed some. Uh, I went down to the gas station with a a can, and I said to the guy, uh, "I want some oil for me mower." And he looked at me, and I said, "I want some oil for me mower." And he said, "Oil for your mower." And I said, "Yeah, you know, cut the grass." And he said, "Oh." You want some owl for your moor. So I learned very quickly that the R in Virginia is highly uh, accentuated. Oh, that's priceless. <laughs> but, uh, that's pretty good. I've survived since anyway. That's pretty but good. I love the show, and uh, um, it was very fascinating, and uh, I enjoy listening to it on uh, Radio IQ here in uh, Roanoke. Fantastic. It was that's our pleasure great. to have you on the program, Jeffrey. Thank you for calling. Thanks a lot. Thanks very Bye-bye. much. Bye-bye. Thanks, bye-bye. Yeah, that reminds me when I worked in um, I worked in information technology for an advertising agency in New York City, and one one fellow, a Scotsman, called up the the help desk and said, "Grant, someone has nicked my lead." <laughs> and took, <laughs> it took me several seconds to figure out what he meant. Somebody had stolen the cable for his computer. <laughs> funny nicked stuff. my lead. <laughs> yeah, palmy, palmy. Yeah, it's not not something that we use. It's uh, it's interesting to have those derogatory words that uh, are kind of like between two cultures. It's between the Australians and the and the British, and it's not something the Americans participate in. That mm-hmm. use of the word palmy. Exactly. Interesting. Call us with your insults and your derogatory statements and your inflammatory <laughs> comments. One eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send your offensive remarks to words at waywardradio.org. <laughs> Martha, how would you describe an older woman who has a knack for finding men who are her age that she can date? Um, extremely successful. <laughs> no, you say she has an excellent radar. <laughs> <laughs> I came across that recently. It's another coinage on the line of radar equaling gaydar equaling whatever dar. Dar on top of a word means that you're good at finding that thing. Oh, I love that. And did you see where Kate Moss streaked her hair with gray? That's, oh, did she know? That's the new thing is gray highlights. Yeah, I'm now so that she's happy. in Sontag's there's a role to fill. <laughs> if you have an observation about language, call us, 1-877-929-9673, or send those emails to words at waywardradio.org. Coming up on Away With Words, it's a visit from our other quiz guy, Greg Pliska. Stick around. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And, well, I'll be darned if it isn't our other quiz guy, Greg Pliska. Greg. Greg. Hello, hello. You know, I I take exception to that. John is the other quiz guy. Oh, John is the other quiz guy. That's right. You say that like other woman. (laughs) (laughs) Greg, how have you been? You never write. You never call. (laughs) When am I going to get grandchildren? You sound like my wife's mother. Um, I'm good. I've uh, uh, I've been traveling. I've been to London and the Dominican Republic, and I have really? an adorable baby. What else? What else do I need? Did you bring us anything? Um, nope. That's it. See you later. Bye bye. <laughs> Thanks for calling. You can give us. Where's that Chinesky guy? Now, of course, <laughs> I brought you something. I brought you a little uh, a little quiz. Oh, hot dog. 
Now, this week's quiz is going to be all about the presidents of the United States. All right, I'll There's see you guys later. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, okay. you know, because this is a way with words, yeah. I'm going to make all the questions have something to do with the alphabet, spelling, or other wordplay. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> I think. I think. You think yeah, you, you suckered into it to that one. So yep. this is basically the quiz is open topic, open form, open answer. <laughs> Everybody wins. Everybody gets a ribbon. Well, no. All the answers are uh, the names of presidents. Oh, uh, specifically, okay. I think the last names of presidents of the United States. Okay. Uh, but since there is a variety of wordplay at work here, rather than go through an example, we're just going to jump right in. Oh, my okay. goodness. Okay. There are five presidents whose last names are also English verbs. Now, one of them is an uncommon usage of the word bush to mark or plant with bushes. So we're not going to count that one. How many of the other four can you name? Okay, wow. That's a, this is a big, I have one. tough monster of a question, right? Yep, I have one. Okay, Martha? N- number 14. <laughs> Franklin <laughs> Pierce, right? Pierce. Yeah. Very good. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. to pierce something. Franklin Pierce. And uh, to Hoover is to vacuum. Oh, good. To Hoover. Good. Very good. A little um, Britishism. Yeah, mainly British usage. Good, good. Um, let's see More? here. Um, One of them was said even before we started this quiz. Really? Yeah. Really? Well, it's the last name of a president, but it's also a first name. The last name of a president? But it's, it's also the last name of a president. Forward. But it's also the first name of one of the three of us. Oh. <laughs> Grant. Grant. To grant yeah. somebody something. Grant and it? Ford. Ford is another one. You and Ford, Ford is another one. Those are the four oh, I was good, looking for. Good. Yes. Is that all of That's them? Good. Then? That's yeah. all of them, yes. Okay. Yeah. The verb to Martha hasn't made it into the I was like mentally yet. running through all the presidents, which is why I was yeah, silent. me too. <laughs> it takes a while. Uh, all right. Here's a tricky one. One president's last name becomes another president's last name when you change the first vowel sound. Who oh, are the two wow. presidents? One president's last name. Well, uh, well, it's kind of a trick because uh, many people know that Roosevelt and Roosevelt were two different pronunciations of that name. Uh, that could be. That's <laughs> not the one I'm looking for, however. You're, but you've got the right idea. You're changing the vowel sound. It would like okay. it, it would be like changing Grant to Grunt. You just change the vowel sound. Did we have a President Cooter? Carter Cooter? <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> Did not. Yeah. Oh man, uh, Taylor and Tyler. Taylor uh, and perfect. Tyler. Very good. Thank you. Uh, let me give you this one. If you count Y. There are seven presidents whose last names end with a vowel. How many can you name? Okay. Obama. Yep. <laughs> Obama. Um, um, Kennedy. Kennedy. Oh, good, good. What are we going for, seven here? Yep. Well, there's Monroe. There's Monroe. Mm-hmm. That's an E. Yep. Oh, McKinley. Had, McKinley. Sure, yeah. If I had a McKinley, list of presidents in front correct. of me. <laughs> well, that's... Um, and there are three left. They all end with E. Oh, okay. That's easy. They're all silent E's. <laughs> That's easy, she said. Um, Pierce. Pierce. Fillmore. Fillmore. And another 20th century president. Another 20th century president? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Coolidge. Coolidge. Oh, yeah. very good. Very good. Take a presidential last name, which is also a noun. Add an R and rearrange the letters to get a synonym for the original noun. Whoa. What, what is it? Bush, shrub. Bush and shrub. Oh, Look at that. How did you do that? <laughs> no, that was supposed to be a hard one. <laughs> Just, oh, my well, God. People called him shrub for the first President Bush shrub all the time. Yeah, yeah. but were you anagramming his name? No, I just wrote it down here. Wow. Just you know, started with that one. It was the first one that came to mind that was a noun. That's how wow. it works. There aren't that many of them that are nouns. You're very yeah, good. good. He's point. very good. Yeah. No, no, I just got lucky. You're both very good. All right. Well, I'm going to try this one. This one is totally unrelated to wordplay. Oh. Okay. But it's just a cool fact, so I felt like I had to include it. Okay. The shortest and longest-lived presidents so far. In other words, the the people who had the shortest lifespan and the longest lifespan, who also happened to be presidents of the United States, were born roughly four years apart. Who were they? Hmm, really? Ooh, interesting. 
Now, the shortest term was William Henry Harrison, right? Kennedy but... and Reagan. Oh, you're very close, Grant. Oh. Kennedy is the shortest-lived president. He died at the age of 46. Hmm. Ford? And Ford, very Ford. good, died at the okay. age of 93, Ford? and they were born just four years apart. <laughs> That's a great fact. Well, that was a great quiz. That was fantastic. Yeah, I yeah. learned some stuff, too. Yeah. Thank you so much, Greg. Public it's always are. a pleasure to be with you guys. And it's a pleasure to have you on the show. We'll talk to you next time. You bet. All right. Bye-bye. Well, if you'd like to talk with us about language history or grammar, slang, punctuation, words and how we use them, give us a call, 1-877-929-9673. Or send us email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello. You have a way with words. Hey, Grant and Martha, this is Tim from Baltimore, Maryland. Well, hello, Tim. How are you doing? Hi, Tim. Pretty well, thanks. Well, um, I have a question for you guys, and I'm hoping you'll be able to help me with it. Oh, it's about homophones and homographs. We know what they are in English, like they're, 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 um, and when they're spelled the same, homographs. Um, but what is it called when you have a word that is a homograph or a homophone with another language? Mm-hmm. And do you have some examples of that? Oh, I have plenty. Um, <laughs> okay. The word in Dutch and German for wall, they're, um, it's wand, or they, they pronounce it wand, but they spell it W-A-N-D, which, you know, in English means a stick or a baton or a mm-hmm. you know, magical mm-hmm. device. Um, in French, their, their word for bread is pan, mm-hmm. which is pronounced pan, but it's spelled P-A-I-N, which to us is pain. There are so many of them that I encounter, and they always stick out to me because I, I think it's so strange. Yeah, where do you encounter them? Um, usually, well, I I do news reporting, ah. and a lot of times I have to take articles from other countries and translate them into English via whatever methods I can, and, you know, a lot of times words will you know, stick out to me, and I'm like, oh, I'll see. If it's in, you know, the Latin alphabet, mm-hmm. and it's written the same way as the word in English, I'll be, I'll, I always take note of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're looking for the word for those um, words that are in other languages and look like they're English words, but yes. that don't mean the same thing, like um, gift in German is another one. Yes, right? poison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't want me to give you a gift in German. <laughs> and soy, soy in Spanish and soy in English are very different Oh, yeah, things. sure. Sure. Or, you know, if you go to a restaurant where they speak Spanish and you order tuna, you're going to get prickly pear cactus or Ah. (laughs) edible cactus. So you have to be careful about those things. And R-E-D means net or network in Spanish, but it means the color in English. So, yeah, there's tons of this stuff. Right. I'd say, Martha, wouldn't you, that these are some kind of false cognate or false friend? Yes, false friends is the term that I've seen for it. in French, as I learned it in French class. But, But usually when we talk about false cognates or false friends between languages, they they actually do tend to have an etymological root, but they've they've taken a different the word has taken a different path in the two languages. Okay, um, the French and English, of course, because they're given their shared history has hundreds, if not thousands, of these words that are not quite the same thing in each each language, and it, and it goes both ways. It's not just French words that became English words, but English words that became French words tend to be transformed in their meanings as well, and so you can you can really make a fool out of yourself. Um, yeah, I um, remember reading about a product called Mist, something Mist. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. it was Canadian Mist or something that they tried to market in Germany. But in in German, Mist means dung or filth. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that doesn't <laughs> <Yum>. work at all. <laughs> but, yeah, Tim, I don't know of any more technical-sounding term than false friends. I think that's the one that you'll find. In fact, if you Google false friends, pretty soon you'll come up with and Google for the images. There's a pretty funny picture of an ad in Dutch of this little kid looking up uh, in this field, and it looks like the ad is saying, Mama, die, die, die. But of course, the little kid in Dutch is saying, Mama, this one, this one, this one, or that Uh one, that one, that one. (laughs) (laughs) So you do have to be careful about those false friends. That is fantastic. Cool. Thanks for calling, Tim. Thanks, Tim. Thank you very much, you guys. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, man. Well, I bet um, folks listening probably have a lot of great stories about false friends, too. We'd love to hear about them. Not your not your friends who are false to you, but those words. So let us know, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi there. This is Linda. 
Hello, Linda. Hi, Where are you Linda. calling from? Well, I live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Oh, very good. I know that town. I have friends there. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much. I'm delighted to be with you. Great. What's on your mind? My mother had said something over the years that um, I just took for granted. And uh, the expression actually was TL. Uh, she would say this, and it meant that we had to come up with a compliment for her before she would reveal what she had heard. And uh, the reason it was driving me nuts uh, most recently was that I mentioned it to a friend one day we were chatting, and she's about my age and a university professor. And when I mentioned that I had a TL for her, she gave me a very blank look. (laughs) And, And I was astonished that she didn't know what it meant. And then, even worse, I couldn't tell her what it meant. Uh, so you're trading compliments then, and that you, you said the letters were T and L? That's correct. Okay. Uh-huh. So you would say to her, I have a TL for you, yes. and this is a compliment that you heard from somebody else? Yes. Uh-huh. And so she had to tell you a compliment that she heard about you from somebody else, and then you would tell her, right? It's a little complicated, yes. But <laughs> back in the days when people had more conversations, it wasn't so weird. Uh-huh. <laughs> And and so where did you first hear this expression? Well, my mother uh, was uh, born in Canada mm-hmm. and came to the U.S. when she was 12. So mm-hmm. I heard it all during my youth back mm-hmm. in the 50s uh-huh. and the 60s. I mean, maybe once a month, but it was something we all just sort of laughed about. And we would find, you know, a compliment and then finally get the, her compliment. But it, the fact is that it seems to have vanished now. I can't say mm-hmm. that I heard it a lot. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was just so astonished that this contemporary of mine had never heard it. Had never she, heard of a TL. Right. She grew up in a different part of the country, and I kind of thought it was maybe a Canadian thing. Okay. Well, Linda, we can clear up this mystery for you. This is really cool. TL, get this, stands for Trade Last. Oh, trade last. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And this was a sort of conversational kind of game, really, um, Uh that seemed to arise in, oh, I don't know, about the 1880s, 1890s in this country. And it was very popular for a while, especially among schoolgirls and kids in college. Uh And the idea was, the idea of a trade last was, let's trade compliments and I'll trade last. So that's... The same idea that you're talking about, right? We're trading compliments. And the use of trade last was pretty widespread across the country. And then it kind of fell out of favor in the 1940s. And, and, but you heard it in the 50s. That's interesting. Well, you heard TL, which is interesting, too, because it was heard mostly in the Northwest. So I don't know if TL bled over into Canada or Northwest, what? as in, uh, well, I'm from Seattle originally. Oh, okay. Consider that the Northwest. Okay, okay, yeah, because because TL was used much more in the Northwest. Yes. In your section of the country, in North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, in that area, there's another variation of it that you may run into there. Oh, okay. And that's last go trade. It's hyphenated, L-A-S-T, go and trade. And that's an expression that means the same thing, but it's very, very localized. It's very interesting that in your part of the country you may hear that expression. But it means the same thing as your TL. Okay, well, um, I'm really happy to learn this, and I can't wait to tell my friend. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to get this cleared up. Super duper. Well, Linda, we're glad to help. Thank you. Thank you for calling, Linda. It was a pleasure talking with you. Nice talking with you. Bye-bye. 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 If a word or phrase has mystified you for years, give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673, or you can send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hey, Grant, what if there were no hypothetical questions? What if I don't answer that? (laughs) I like that question. That was sent to us by Keith in Charlottesville, Virginia, who also sent us this question. Little food for thought. Does the Little Mermaid wear an algebra? Ah! 
you liked it. It was a pun, and Grant liked it. Duly That's noted, Keith. Terrible. Very good. Congratulations. Well, if you'd like to share a riddle with us, call us one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or email it to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Maureen calling from North Park in San Diego. Oh, hi, Maureen. Welcome. Hello. Hi. I have a question about the phrase, refer back. I'm a teacher. I just completed 31 years of teaching wow. in the public school system. Wow. Mazel tov. Yes, and I'm going to keep going. And I was discussing with a friend of mine at the dog park who's a retired teacher. Um, of course, we talk about school sometimes. Mm-hmm. And as a teacher, we encourage students to refer back to the text when we are discussing literature or when they're writing about literature, we tell them to refer back to the text to substantiate their interpretation or their opinion. And my friend Harriet said, no, that's wrong, Maureen. Refer back is redundant. So I did a little bit of investigating, and I've come to the conclusion that revert back would indeed be redundant, but that refer back is legit. What do you think? Refer back is is totally fine. Let's just make that clear from the start. Okay. Refer back is fine. Refer alone is also fine, but okay. they indicate two different things. If you refer back, you are referring to something that you have previously done or visited or a condition that you've otherwise uh, had have already experienced. You are referring back to something that you've seen before, right? That makes sense. If you refer to something without the back, if you just refer to the book, then you may actually be going to the part of the book that you haven't seen before. You're, you're going mm. to check the glossary mm-hmm. that you might not have read, or you're going to go to a new chapter and refer to that because it has information that you need and haven't seen yet. And that so there's sense. a difference there. Mm-hmm. And, and back, back is a, a multifaceted adverb. It, it does a lot of jobs that are, that are kind of opaque. And that's one of the reasons why you can get, if you think a little too much about back, you can get into trouble and think, well, what am I using back for? What do you mean, give me that back? Why do I need the back in there if you say, mm-hmm. give me that back? And actually what you're saying is, restore to me the thing that I previously had. And that's what the back is doing. It's saying, return me to the previous condition. And so back is doing the same thing when you're talking about textbooks. Okay. But you would never say revert back because that would be redundant. You can actually, uh, it, it depends, revert back is you know, I'm thinking about this in a, a software programming context where you often want to restore your software to a previous um, a previous build because you've made some mistakes in your new code and you want to go back to when it was all good. And so I think people do say revert back, but I think revert would be a better use, yes. Okay. Well, you answered my question. Thank you. All right. Nice. Well, thanks thanks for very call. much. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Well, if you have a question about grammar or usage, this is the place, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send us an email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Next up, more of your calls here on Away With Words. Stay tuned. Away With Words is sponsored in part by iUniverse, supported self-publishing. Is there a book in you? Information available at 1-800-AUTHORS or online at iUniverse.com. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. We had a call recently from Camille. She'd been racking her brain for years to try to remember a word that she'd heard in college. Remember, she and her friends had been trying to pack a car so they could head back to school. And she thinks that she remembers somebody that day using a word that refers to somebody who's really good at visualizing where things should go and then packing them. Remember Mm -hmm. that? I remember that call. very. We were were stumped. We were. And she couldn't remember the word. And the only thing that she could recall, she thought, was that somehow the letter V figured prominently in this word. And you're right. We didn't come up with anything. But boy, did our listeners. We got tons of suggestions. We heard uh, from people who were saying maybe it's Voyager or volumetrician. Somebody suggested pickle packer. I think that refers to um, to how many pickles you can get in a jar. Kara um, suggested caravanner. A lot of people mention the art history term horror vacui, Grant, the one that means a fear of empty spaces and refers to those ancient uh, vases that just have stuff all over them, sort mm-hmm. of like a, the label on Dr. Bronner's soap, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> as yep. horror vacui. But here's the word that I think is the winner, the word for somebody who can pack something really, really well, really tightly and efficiently, stevedore. 
Oh, you think that's the one? I think that's the one. It means a dock worker. A lot of people brought it to our attention, and I Googled it, and there are all kinds of similes, like the person has arms like a stevedore, works like a stevedore, eats like a stevedore, sweats like a stevedore. Mm-hmm. And I'm betting that this person was told that she packs like a stevedore. It's possible, yeah. I know that term from reading Hardy Boy mysteries when I was a boy. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. They encounter some rough fellow who's a stevedore, and of course, ah. I don't look it up. Ah, there you go. Interesting. So Stevedore. I, I like volumetrician, though. That, 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 <laughs> of course you did. But it's not as much fun as Stevedore. No, I like Stevedore a lot. So thanks to hmm. Carter and David and George and everybody else who sent us that term. I hope Camille lets us know if that was the term. Oh, yes, please. And you can call us with your suggestions at one eight seven seven wayword or email us to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Uh, hello, um, my name is Brian Riddle. I'm calling from Indianapolis. Hey, Brian. And uh, I'm calling, I'm curious about the phrase, um, to keep something at bay. Um, I'm, I'm curious of the origin in a kitchen, and so it was a topic of conversation for the past few weeks. Um, and I, we have a couple of theories about uh, coming from uh, bay leaves and laurel leaves. I know the Romans used to use uh, bay leaves uh, as a crown, and they have uh, protecting powers. So I, I was wondering if it had something to do with, with that. Ah. Bay, bay leaves. And, and why did this come up in your kitchen? We use bay leaves to season, and uh, it, you know, obviously we're very familiar with that term, and I think someone used it one day, and we just got to talking about it. Huh. Okay, and this is your kitchen at home, or did you say you work in one? I work in a kitchen, yes. Ah, I see. So, <laughs> so garlic keeps away vampires, and bay leaves keep away fairies, pixies, brownies? Perhaps anything. I, again, I, I've read that the, uh, the Romans you know, used them uh, just to protect from basically evil evil deeds or uh, evil things or evil spirits. Okay, so your theory is that at bay, to keep somebody or something at bay comes from bay leaves. Yeah. i got to say, that's a new one for me, but yeah. I, I, I could buy that almost if I didn't know better. <laughs> you know, it's interesting to me. I always thought at bay for the longest time. I thought it was, um, you know, a ship in a bay or a boat in a bay that's sort of protected by those those embracing arms of the land mass around it and on either Absolutely. side. Absolutely. We had the same uh, the same ideas. We had a few ideas. Ah, you did. Hmm. Well. But none, none were very satis- satisfactory to us. Well, Mistress, Mistress Martha, have you ever been hunting with a dog? Um, I have not been hunting with a dog. Hmm. You, Grant? Yeah, yeah, several times. I used to go Awful. rabbit hunting with the, my father's beagle. Oh, mm-hmm. my. Well, do tell. Well, uh, this gets to the heart of at bay, right? Right. It has to do with the baying of the hounds. Yeah. So when a dog bays at you, Brian, he keeps you away, right? Because he's barking at you. He's howling. Or maybe he's howling at a raccoon who's been treed. Or he's uh, howling that he's discovered the rabbit that that you're going to try to shoot or or what have you. And so it's about the baying of the hounds keeping you or something or somebody away from somebody or something else. Oh, okay. That's very interesting. Yeah, and it comes from, from, from French originally. The, the verb in modern French is aboyer, A-B-O-Y-E-R, and ultimately made its way into English as, as to bay. But my, but my father's beagle, what it would do when it would, um, would find a rabbit, it has this particular kind of a yelp where if you don't know what, what hunting dogs sound like, you think that they're hurt. You think that they're, they've been wounded, hit by a car, or, or, or something Ooh. dastardly has happened. And it's, it's kind of your hair on the back of your neck stands up the first time you hear it. I remember my mother just kind of really being incredibly uncomfortable when she heard our dog start, start banging because she'd, she'd caught the scent of her, or sight of a rabbit. Yeah, so it's really not a peaceful image at all, the original Mm-mm, one. In no. fact, you know, sometimes a dictionary definition can just conjure an image. In the Oxford English Dictionary, it says that uh, at bay is used in hunting phrases and it's relating to the position of a hunted animal when, unable to flee farther, it turns, faces the hounds, and defends itself at close quarters. Uh-huh. I mean, I read that, and I just, my heart kind of stopped. I mean, that moment of fierce mm-hmm. desperation mm-hmm. is right there. So we don't think it has anything to do with bay leaves, although that is a great guess. Thank you very much for the uh, for the answer. We'll have to, we'll, we'll, sh- we'll share it um with the rest of the people here. Thank well, you. Oh, what we so, want to know is if you're going to share the food. Is, <laughs> is this Italian food, you said? Uh, French. French, uh, Mediterranean, and Italian, yes. We'll oh, be sorry. there in Indianapolis, right? That's right. That's correct, yes. Okay. <laughs> thank, thank you very much, Martha. Thanks Grant. for calling, Brian. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Sound like he had to get back to his I, back to his kitchen. I think he had something burning on the stove. Yeah, his sauces were spoiling. <laughs> 
We'll call us from your kitchen, and you can send food deliveries too. One eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Mark Miller, listening on WFSU in Tallahassee. Oh, hi, Mark. Hello, Mark. Hey. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. What may we do for you? Growing up, you know, we learned the rule that you know you capitalize words, you know, in the beginning. And what I've noticed over time that there seems like to be a proliferation of more words are showing up with capital letters in the middle of them, mm-hmm. like uh, proper names. Sometimes you know, women in particular, you know, use like Roxanne or Anne Marie and capitalize the M, but it's one word. Mm-hmm. Also, there's a lot of uh, companies now that are are using that um, capitalized letters in the middle of their names. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I've always wondered what the, ter- what the term is for that, if there is a term. Yeah. yeah, the older, more formal name for this is medial capitals, but that's kind of boring, right? Medial, M-E-D-I-A-L, capitals. And it's exactly what you say. It's a word that has in it somewhere a, a capital letter that's not at the beginning, and, and the whole word itself isn't all caps. So it's a mix of lowercase and uppercase. There's some other names, too. Some people call it camel case. Have you heard that one? Yeah. Um, in fact, I took a software course, and one of the things he called it camelback, if you're a camelbacker. Yeah, yeah. As, if you, as opposed to being an underscore mm-hmm. when you separated your file names. Oh, Very really? Good. Exactly right. It comes from, tends to, the, the phrase itself, camel case, comes from computer programming because some, some computer languages traditionally have not allowed spaces in the code in certain places. And so in order to indicate that you've got two words, you just run them together and capitalize one rather than putting a space between them. Right. It's called camel because when you look at the word, there's a hump in the middle, just like a camel. Uh, some people call it studly caps, but that's a little confusing <laughs> because studly caps is also that that kind of wildly inconsistent capitalization that you see um, when people are goofing off online and kind of imitating people who don't know how to type properly, where like every third letter is capitalized. and um, Sort of like a ransom note. Yeah, kind of a ransom note typing. Yeah. It's, it's really irregular. A camel case it's tends cool. to be just like one letter in the middle is capitalized and not, not multiple letters. And it tends to be that capital letter indicates the start of a new word. That's why it's capitalized. Where studly caps is just you're just, it's willy-nilly, whatever you, you know, whatever word. FedEx does it and. Um, ExxonMobil. Well, yeah, brand names were the innovators here. A a lot of brand names were doing this as early as the 1950s, maybe even earlier than that. And it's slowly grown over the years. And certainly with the rise of the computer and and certainly the personal computer and where computer programming became a thing that you could do in your home as a pastime rather than something you would do for hire for a company, a lot more people became... um, conditioned and comfortable with that kind of capitalization. So it's in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s, and here we are in the 2010s, we're, we're finding a lot of people um, just do this as just a matter of course, even on mm-hmm. Twitter and in Facebook in order to cram words in there and to make it right. um, comprehensible, people will just take out the spaces and capitalize the letters instead. Mark, thank you so much for calling with this interesting question. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. All bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. Call us with your camelbacks, 1-877-929-9673, or send your camel cases to words at waywardradio.org. Martha, do you remember skee-ball? Skee-ball? Yeah, you go to the fair or the carnival, and there's this, this ramp. You roll the ball up it, and it drops into a these circles and maybe you get points if it goes down the hole ah oh, no the, i didn't, I didn't and know then the machine spits out the tickets and then you go get some piece of junk like a shot glass with led zeppelin logo on the side <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'm talking about i want the giant panda <laughs> <laughs> yeah that kind of stuff well ski ball is now a competitive sport there are ski ball leagues in the country and what? naturally of course they have a lingo and i've been getting into that i recently. bet i bet they yeah, have drinks a, that go along with it too there's a ski ball league in wilmington north carolina and i've been reading their myspace page and they're using terms like hundos or hundies and this is their abbreviation for 100 points it's one of the hardest holes to hit on a skee-ball table 
Um, it's it's small and it's placed differently. And if you drop your ball in that hole, you get a hundred points. Oh mm. wow! So if you do something successfully, you say I hit the hundo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a, a hundy, a hundy, or a hundo. Hundy. Yeah. I like if you it. and find the forty is a motto that they're using, which means uh, go for the easy forty point shots instead of going for the really difficult hundred point shots, because you could just accumulate a lot of forties and ultimately win the game by. Uh, uh, the easy shots. Oh, cool. Well, there you yeah. go. If, if you're not any good at it, at least you'll know the lingo, right? Skee-ball. It's great. It's really, I want a league. I want to join. <laughs> Do you have a pastime or hobby that's got a cool lingo? I would love to hear about it. Give us a call, one 929 or email us at words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Grant Martha. This is Kurt Basham from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Hi, Kurt. Hi, Kurt. Welcome to the program. Oh, well, thanks a lot. What's going on? Well, I was... Uh, Searching online for some obscure or archaic insults. Well, now wait a minute. Why? Everyone's got to. Ha- everyone's got to have a hobby, right? <laughs> you don't get out much. And... <laughs> but why? I just it's... say this was Grand Rapids, right? <laughs> it's Grand Rapids. <laughs> Are there wait, a lot wait, of people you need to insult in Grand Rapids, or what's the deal? Yeah, you don't know the half of it. Yeah. Oh, really? Um... <laughs> oh, tell us. Are you calling from prison? <laughs> Are you calling from the next town over? Oh, yes. It was not really Grand Rapids, and my name's not really Kurt. I had to disguise my voice and all that. Anyway, uh-huh. <laughs> what I found uh, was uh, what could be the mother load of old-school name-calling, and I was hoping I could share some of that with you. Oh, <laughs> well, is it sure. Safe? Is it safe for air? Totally. Okay. Totally. Oh, Go for it. Rock even and roll. Better. All right. Well, uh, it's from a translation from a, a French uh, novel called Gargantua and Pantagruel. It was written a whole long number of years ago in the mid-1500s. Mm-hmm. So not exactly beach reading, maybe, or anything like that. But anyway, <laughs> in it, there's a, there's a paragraph about the bread sellers and, and how they call everyone these really rude names. And then he goes on to list, like, 40 examples. And uh, some of the choicer ones are scurvy sneaksbees and grout head gnat snappers. Oh, yeah. Okay. Nice. Mm-hmm, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, Possibly my favorite, Slubberdegullion Druggles. What is a Slubberdegullion Drubble? Well, you know, if you told somebody they were a Slubberdegullion Druggle, they might not know what you mean, but they probably wouldn't mistake it for a compliment. <laughs> no, um, not at all. <laughs> it turns out, I, I looked that one up, it's a, a filthy, slobbering person. Yeah, this, this particular passage that you're quoting from is just a work of genius. Even in, And you're <laughs> quoting the English translation from the French, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, and so, mm-hmm. it, so the the work of the translator in order to anglicize all these French insults was is really just phenomenal. In, in, no matter which translation you get, it must be a great fun to do. It's a long passage. He he says, "How does it go?" It, um, I'm reading here: prattling gabblers, licorice gluttons, freckled bitters, mangy rascals, um, drunken roisters, sly knaves, drowsy loiterers, slap sauce fellows. Lubberly louts, cozening foxes, ruffian rogues. He just goes on and on. It's just fantastic. It is, and most of these are safe. I've I've left a few out that we can't. Yeah, actually there, say there's in the a air. few. There's maybe three or four that are not not real repeatable on the air. But uh, but we can say turdy gut, right? Um, <laughs> why not? You just did amongst friends. Why not? Yeah, and the the <laughs> gaping changelings. I don't even know where to begin with that one. Gaping changelings. <laughs> I yeah, I don't know. And Dottie Paul jolt heads really sounded strange too. So. Dottie Pauls. <laughs> hmm. But we'll put yep. this whole passage, naughty words and all, online so everyone else can share in the joy. These are the kind of things that will probably most of them would get past internet filters as well, right? Ah, that's, so. yeah, that's a good point. So, Kurt, do you feel that we've lost the fine art then of, of coming well, up? Well, yeah, with... I mean, uh, I don't think anything close to this exists today, you know. Uh, so I was uh, quite taken a, taken with some of these in here. So. Mm. Well, we can make our own. I mean, uh, these seem to be Nazi coinages anyway. The, the translator made these up, or the, well, probably you... himself. I think we've lost some of the poetry, though. I mean, you just don't have a prattling gabblers anymore. Well, on our show, you do. <laughs> no question. Now there are three well, of us. Welcome, Kurt. Yes, thanks. I, I, I'm proud to be a prattling gabbler. Well, Kurt, are you looking for more? Because weirdly enough, recently for my birthday, somebody gave me a box of long-lost insults. <laughs> oh, nice. It's, a box? Yeah, it, yeah, they're on all these little cards with these cute illustrations. I'm not sure 
what the appeal of having a whole bunch of cards with insults on them uh, is, but it's it's Forgotten English 3, Long Lost Insults, and my favorites here are Fusty Lugs, which is an ill-natured person, and um, Nyargle, N-Y-A-R-G-L-E, which means a foolish person fond of disrupting. Hmm. You like that, Nyargle? I'm going to try and use that in conversation today. It sounds like a word J.K. Rowling used. It does, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or a high school football team (laughs) fighting (laughs) Nyargles. Anyway, well, Kurt, thank you for um, bringing this to our attention. We will definitely link to that list of interesting insults. Thank you. Thanks, Kurt. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. No no parting insult for us? (laughs) (laughs) You flutch calf lolly. Now, wait a minute. That, that one's for Grant. Three-eyed, yellow-bellied, lily-livered polecat. <laughs> bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. Well, there's a, there's a passage I want to share with you. I won't read the whole thing, but okay. it's from a 1916 book by George Albert Nicholson. And he's listing words in English that have uh, E-O-N or O-N on the end of them. And, and interestingly, some of them are insults, like celebrity uh, gullion is in there. And some mm-hmm. of them are not insults, but they all sound like insults. There's something about that that suffix. So it's mergen, curmudgeon, rampallion, runyon, flabberty gudgeon, flabber, gullion, panchion, rambolion, gullion, callion, hunchin, hudderdin, grullion, dualin, dullion, dudderdin, lynchin, mudgeon, nalion, nampion, punion, ramolishquan, rampagion. Don't they all sound like insults? They do. Most of them are dialect English words that have since fallen out of use, but it's it's a fun list. I'll share that one online as well. One eight seven seven. Nine two nine nine six seven three, or send it all in email to words at waywardradio.org. Support for Away With Words comes from National University. Change your future today. Find out how at nu.edu. And by MoseyPro Online Backup. MoseyPro protects your business's data with simple and secure backup solutions. Information available at mozy.com slash words. That's our show for this week. If you didn't get on the air today, you can leave us a message anytime. The number is 1-877-929-9673. Or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. And you can stay in touch with us all week on Twitter. We're there under the username Wayward. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. We've had production help this week from Josette Herdell and Jennifer Powell. From Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And from San Francisco, I'm Grant Barrett. Thanks to Howard Gelman for engineering our show from the studios of KQED Radio with assistance from Paul Lancor. Ciao. Bye-bye. Tomato, and I like tomato, potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. But oh, if we call the whole thing Hey, listeners, we have a favor to ask. We'd love for you to fill out our listener survey at gum.fm slash words. Your feedback is crucial. It's quick, and it helps us make our show even better. It shapes our show, helps us plan, and ensures we're bringing you the content you love. That's G-U-M dot F-M slash W-O-R-D-S. Thanks for being a part of what we do. Thank you.